Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. That's right, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life. You know, all the different parts of the writing life and also video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. I've got uh, my conversation with Cami Garcia, young adult author. Um, she's doing a lot of like um, graphic novels now. She wrote Beautiful Creatures with uh, Margaret Stoll. Great conversation. I really like Cami. Uh, she had some great stuff to say about self-doubt and about writing with a partner. Anyway, it's all awesome, and it's all at uh, authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And, you know, they got a bunch of stuff going on. I think we're going to do another uh, mini virtual conference in June or July. That should be fun. And, uh, you know, we're also got writers' con- we got writers' um, contests. we got published and unpublished author contest. We've got the big conference coming up in September. It's all good stuff. And, uh, you know, because right now we're still doing most things virtually, well, all things virtually, anyone can benefit from it. So head on over to pnwa.org and join up. You will not regret it. Uh, Speaking of teaching, I am going to be doing a bunch of things, but the next one is going to be April 10th. I'm teaching memoir writing for Right on the River. Uh, so if you are a memoirist or an aspiring memoirist and got interest, well, I think it's going to be like $15. I think that's all it is. I can't believe it. Holy smokes. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think it's like a two-hour class, three-hour class. So check it out. It's virtual. So anyone can be there. Uh, go over to writeontheriver.com and uh, hunt around and you'll find it. Right on the river. Okay. Enough about me. What about today's guest, Julie Carrick Dalton? Ah, she's the it girl. Yes, she is. Julie's debut novel, Waiting for the Night Song, has been named to most anticipated 2021 book list by, get this, CNN, Newsweek, USA Today, Parade, and BuzzFeed, and was an Amazon editor's pick for best books of the month. Julie is a member of the Climate Fiction Writers League and is a frequent speaker and workshop leader on the topic a fiction in the age of climate crisis. Her work has appeared in the Boston Globe, uh, Business Week, the Chicago Review of Books, and many other publications. And she is with us right now. Julie, how you doing? Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's good to have you. It's good to have you. You got a book out. You wrote a novel. It was published what, okay, we decided it was a month ago, about a month, well, no, two months ago, about two months ago, yeah? Yep. Yeah. And uh, now, all right, let's back up a little bit. I know you were a journalist for many years, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I started out doing, you know, local newspaper, you know, covering school school board meetings and police oh. beats and, and then worked my way up to magazines and all over the country. Did was was uh, did you go to school for journalism? Was that the plan? Um, it wasn't initially the plan. I started out as a biochemistry major, but uh, I ended up with a oh. roommate who's a journalism major, and her in- homework was so much more interesting than my homework. <laughs> but after a year 
of of like eavesdropping on her homework, I switched to journalism, and that was that was how it happened. See, but the biochemistry thing that sort of hung on, didn't it? In the interest Absolutely. in the climate change, right? Yeah, that yeah. is fascinating. That's fascinating. I just think it's interesting how parts of us sort of keep, you know, it does, I mean, it's sort of like. I always actually one of the metaphors that's interesting that you should mention this college. One of the metaphors for, for writing a book, I think it's sort of like going to college, you know, you're in high school and you have a vague idea of what you think you want to be, but you're 17. What the hell do you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you go in and you actually find out like you, you start taking classes, you start doing things. And a book is kind of like that. You think you know what it's about for the most part. And then you start writing it and you actually find out, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. This book is very different than when it started out, and it, um, it it had its own plan, I think. And as I was writing it, you know, it changed direction several times, and I just had to follow the book because it was not letting me control it anymore. Um, so yeah, it took, it took 13 years to write this book, but it, wow. it was worth it. Wow, 13. You know, that's not the longest, but that's up there. That is up there, yeah. Julie. Wow. Okay, but it, you know. You're not you. You were busy. You were raising. You were married. It sounds like, or at least you were raising some kids, and you were working and and trying to write. So you had a lot going on, yeah. Yeah. So the um, the, I always think of the story of my book. I'm also a farmer. Own and operate a small (laughs) organic farm. (laughs) And so I and I'm so the biochemistry did come back in that way. I'm very, very interested in soil science now, but when I was writing my book, it was the same year that I built my farm from scratch. So the book and the wow. farm in my memory, my memory are kind of one story about building the book and building the farm. And they both influenced each other quite a bit, both projects. Well, listen, I got I'm going to throw some praise your way. The, the, the scientist brain does not always make for the best writer brain. It just, you know, <laughs> it, it, sometimes it's just such a different way of thinking it's so evidence-based, it really needs, you know, to make a sort of external rational sense. And, uh, but your, your work really reads like a, a writer first. It, that's, that was my experience of it. It was really um, deliciously rendered, the physical world, I have to say. So kudos to you. Thank you. No, I I I feel like the the, nat- the natural setting in my book was um is very much in the setting of my farm, and it just I just feel like so much it kind of wrote itself. So I was out in the fields working and getting my hands dirty all day, coming home and processing my day at the farm and writing it at night. And I just felt like it just the um the farm really like wrote part of my book. Well, I'll tell you what that this book like. And I say this in the best way. It just reeks of the earth. I just feel like I could open the book. And instead, of, instead of getting that new book smell, like I would get wet soil would come up from it. It just is so seeped in that. So you really did. You just enjoyed that. And I, I, I was interested in what your background might be because I thought this, this woman has spent some time with her hands in the dirt. I just have to believe. It just felt too, too realistic. Much. Yeah. Well, All right. Well, that, so that um, idea that your idea of it smelling like the wet earth might be the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, you can you can you can quote me on your website if you want. Um, All right. I love that. So. All right. So but you so you, you get out of college and uh, you decide to go and you and you worked your way up. I mean, you just the from just writing the, the most basic kind of, you know, low end stuff. Well, I don't say low end, but you know, maybe not the most exciting stories, the, uh, on up to magazines. Um, did you ever think while you're doing the journalism, like this is tedious and for the birds, I, what did I do? Or were you always thought this is exciting. I want to see where this goes. 
Um, I still really, I mean, I love journalism. I do more um, literary journalism now, like writing about books. I do a lot. I write a lot of articles and and things um, that I publish now about literature. Um, I don't do more investigative journalism anymore. But I, I loved I love putting a story together. And as a journalist, you know, you're researching facts, interviewing people and looking for the story. And um, I think that I'm still, you know, a lot of ways doing the same thing, except I think with writing fiction, you have more, um, you know, accessible to you. There's a lot of real science in my book. There's a lot of research that went into it, but the the human parts of it, I think sometimes you, you can get more truth out of fiction sometimes because you can bring the emotional energy and shape a story so that it resonates with people more than maybe like, you know, a scientific article might like with the climate change in my book. So I think that it's it's like another layer to me of, um, you know, being a go deeper. I think that the only truth, I mean, this is certainly writing has taught me this, even though I don't write, I write narrative nonfiction, create like personal essay, that sort of thing. Now, Mm -hmm. um, I do think human, the, the only currency that really matters to people is the felt experience of life, that feeling is the true human currency. How good do you feel? How bad do you feel? Happy, sad, frustrated, worried, love, fear. I just think that's what really drives us and makes us what we are. And it's such an internal, unquantifiable experience that is best captured through art. I think I don't know that science will ever catch up to the arts in that regard. That's my personal. No, I, take. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, and I think that there, you know, fiction gives us this opportunity to reach people who might not, you know, for for me, the climate yeah. science. It, my book's not about climate change; it's about a friendship. But the climate right. science does play into the story, and I never want to tell people, you know, read my book because it's about climate change. Climate yeah, change is luck. just a part of it, but. Yeah. But, right, exactly. It's just a story about a friendship and about a town and about a tragic event and how it changed the town. But um, I had a, a reader send me an email the other day that uh, was one of the uh, it's one of my favorite I've gotten. And she said, you know, I'm not interested in climate science. I don't care about politics. I don't watch the news. I don't care about climate change because I don't think about it. But I read your right. book and I cared about your characters. I cared about your story. And it's yep. now making me think about climate change. Ah, and that, and she, and she only gave me four stars out of five, which I was a little disappointed, ah. but I still felt like it was a win. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, she's a hard five, that one, it sounds like. I don't think she doesn't it, just... It, no, it, it meant a lot to me, though. It, it meant a lot to me that I think that she, you know, the, the connection she got with the characters and the story made her think about the things that mattered to my characters right. and, and right. you know, maybe changed her a little bit. You know, I, I think it's really true. I've come to understand that as a writer, basically I'm a philosopher, but I, 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 that's sort of ultimately where I'm, what I'm, what I do, but I, I depend on entertainment over the intellect. In other words, I, I feel like if I can entertain the reader um, in, in some way, tell them a story, any philosophy I have, it can sort of sneak in under the door, but they won't notice mm-hmm. it. They won't pay attention to it. They won't think about it maybe till afterwards. But if they, they, yeah. I just, I want them to be engaged on an emotional level rather than an intellectual one. If I can do that, then you can bring them a lot. You sort of do the same thing. You sort of uh, yeah. keep reading and if the other stuff is there if they want it. Yeah. I think it's like reading a, any kind of fiction I mean, ultimately, it's kind of an act of empathy because you're giving yeah. up your perspective of the world to see it through somebody else's eyes and, um, you know, yeah. kind of breaks down barriers, I think. When did you get interested in, in, in climate crisis? When is that something that you 
thought you cared about and wanted to write fiction about? When did you, because, you know, it's, it's in the air, but some people care about it less than others. What, what drew you to it? What made you care about it? Well, I mean, I, I always, you know, cared and paid attention to it, and I've always really valued science. But when I was writing the story, it didn't start out and have anything to do with climate. It was a story about that started with two little girls in a boat picking blueberries, and that was the image in my that started. Oh, and, that was it. And these two, that was the moment. That was like this wow. idea because I have four kids, and I take my kids blueberry picking on a boat on the lake in the summer all the time. And it started out because we would pick blueberries off of these vast open pieces of shore. And at some point when my kids were young, they started asking me, you know, are we stealing these? Whose are they? Whose land is this? And I didn't know. And I'm like, who would care if anybody's kids took some blueberries? But then I had to, I I found myself making up reasons to my kids saying, well, it's okay if we don't take them all. And it's okay if we don't get out of the boat. And then I realized I was, you know, kind of trying justifying unjustifiable behavior to my children. So I backtracked on all of that, but it stuck in my head and it became the kernel of the story of having these children make up a code of ethics to justify their own bad behavior. And how far would they go to uphold an oath to a false Um, code of ethics? And that's where it all started. But the climate part came in because in my book, it's a dual timeline story told from my main character's point of view when she's 11 and when she's an adult. So I wanted her to come home after having been away for decades, and I was thinking, you know, what, what would be different when someone comes home? And I started looking at the, you know, the environment and the natural world, and I found one piece of information that in the growing season in my area is 22 days longer than it was a century ago. That's three weeks longer growing really? season. And that just blew my mind. Holy yeah. And, and it's because our, our temperature has gone up. So, yeah. I want, so yeah. what I did is that that's how the climate entered the story, because I wanted to look at the way a small uptick in temperature – that progress slowly, how it would change a community. And it changes all the people in the community a little different. You know, it's, right. and for some, it's about farm foreclosures. For some, it's about, you know, the threat of fire. Um, right. And so I wanted to look at an insular little town. And so that's how it, it came into the story. It sort of crept in through the back door. Um, right. And now, it, and it really, to me, it defines the story a lot now, but that's not how it started. That, see, but it just naturally, but it, and also, of course, it must have just grown out of your own, your own just interest in it, right? I mean, it's just because it's swimming around yeah. in your head, right? Yeah, and as, you know, I mentioned that I have a farm, and what happened is we have, um, it's a 100-acre piece of land that's been a forest for a really long time, and it was bumped up against our family home, um, the community mm-hmm. where we've had this home for a long time, and we have bear and moose and deer that just literally walk into our yard from the Wow, and wow. when it went on the market for timber and development, they were clear-cutting it, and I panicked i just couldn't bear the thought of all these trees being torn down and i started doing right. a lot of research into land development forestry and so we we bought the piece of land and turned it into a farm they had already cleared some areas so that's where we built the farm but the reason i'm a farmer is because i couldn't stomach the idea of homeless moose i, I you know i i needed to say <laughs> oh that my was the whole god thing. I needed a business reason to save the forest. And so right. the only thing I could think to do with it that would be a good steward of the land would be to farm the land that had already been cleared. Right. And it's been I'm 10 years in, and I went back to school and got their certificate in sustainable agriculture, and I'm trying my best. I will never tell you I'm a brilliant farmer, but I'm learning and I'm trying really hard. Now, have the moose ever thanked you? They haven't. They're just That's just like a moose. They wouldn't thank you. Have they ever walked up and said, Maybe they're in their own way well, they have. I kind of think so. There's one year, one of the first years, we put the barn up. We have, there's a, um, a horse barn. You, you can walk all straight through it. It has this big overhead doors that yep. open on each yep. end of the barn. 
and yeah. a an adolescent lanky awkward moose walked right into the barn, walked in one door, walked the whole length, and walked out the really? other door. And I think that was I I I felt like that was kind of a you know All right. way of saying thanks. I I agree. Hey, listen, I my cat speaks to me in many ways. I've learned <laughs> her language that is not uh, even meowing. I've learned that. Uh, and moose are big, aren't they? They're, they're surprisingly oh enormous. As I yeah, they're terrifying too. They're, they can be very dangerous. Um, they're the most awkward-looking animal. I feel like they, they look like they've been put together. Yeah, they look like they've been put together with spare parts. They're just the funniest-looking <laughs> animal. But I absolutely, I right. absolutely love them. Well, all right. So let's see. But this is this is so interesting. People, listen. This is the thing. I, I don't know as a writer how you replace the ex, the physical, actual life experience when you're writing about something because this book just. As I said, it just reeks of someone who knows what they're who has who knows what she's talking about in terms of land and earth and climate and so on. And it's just hard to I don't know. Maybe not. Is, are there aspects of this book that you wrote about that really you had to go to learn about completely from scratch? Um, a little bit, like the um the storyline about this invasive beetle, which is what sets this yeah. the adult storyline in motion. Um, that there's an invasive beetle that moves into the forest and it's killing off trees and setting the stage for a potential fire. That's the same yeah. beetle that's, that, you know, you guys know more about it than I do, that's been out, you know, on the West Coast and in California and Colorado. And um, mm. so I took that beetle and I, I used a little bit of fictional license and I moved it to New Hampshire because I wanted it to be in an area where people aren't expecting it. Right. Um, and so I had to do a lot of research into how the beetle has, you know, um, affected other areas and what conditions would make it. Um, you know, hospitable in New Hampshire. So the temperature right. was up a little bit. There was a drought. So I set the stage to make sense. So I had to do um, a lot of, you know, science research. And on, I did yeah. some research on forest fires. And there's yeah. some, there's a little a bird that's endangered, the, waiting for the night song. And the title, the right. night song, is about a bird called the Bitnell's thrush. So I did a lot of, um, a lot of science and nature research. Yeah, that's different though. You know, the the the, the that's sort of informational. The the what is it like to be in a forest, like it's hard to write about, mm-hmm. you know, I've, let's say you've never been in an old growth forest who actually write. It's so much easier if you actually stood there for 10 minutes, you'd have a better chance <laughs> of writing about it than if you went and watched videos on it and read about it. You yeah. know what I mean? There's nothing like physically I, yeah. doing something to write about it. Yeah. And the, so my forest, um, you know, where my farm is, um, is, is a really special place to me. And I feel like I can access it really easily. And, you know, I've, I've spent so much time there and so much time. We have all these walking trails in the woods and a babbling brook that, I mean, it looks like it came straight out of a fairy tale. It's so beautiful and untouched. And so we protected the land that we aren't using actively for the farm. And it's actually operated, we own it, but it's operated like a state park. Um, uh-huh. that we give access to other people to, you know, ride bikes, walk dogs, take walks on uh-huh. trails in our woods. And it's, it's just lovely because it's such a treasure that, you know, other people, I want other people to see how amazing it is. It's just beautiful. It's very natural. Right. It hasn't uh-huh. been, you know, we don't manipulate it in any way. It's just what it's supposed to be. Something about a forest, man. You stand in a forest. The forest is the earth's ocean. I kind of feel like, you know, there's a, <laughs> such a yeah. magnificence and stillness and just, um, you just have to accept life as it is at that moment. And the, it's so alive yeah. and still at the same time. It's just, it, it, it is kind of special. I, uh, I know um, this book is the most, anti- this is interesting, actually, Julie. I can't think of a person I've interviewed who had so, who's got on so many anticipated lists. So <laughs> CNN, Newsweek, USA, what do you, to what, like, what's that about? 
I don't mean, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a book, a good book and shouldn't <laughs> be anticipated, but, but what do you think of that? Do you feel like you were, you psychically created that? What's going on with all this anticipation around your book? I don't know. Um, I was really surprised. I wasn't expecting it, um, you know, to be so anticipated. Um, it was exciting. And I think, you know, my, my publisher was very enthusiastic about my book. I've been very lucky to have a lot of support from my team at Forge Books. This is Tor Forge, right? Tor, yep, it, Tor Forge Books. Yeah, yep. I didn't think they did this sort of thing. I didn't think they, they well, published know, this. They mostly do. They do a lot of like science fiction yeah. and you know crime and mystery. But they have. Yeah. They do have other um, you know kind of women's fiction and literary fiction um, titles in there too. And they were so good to me, like in terms yeah. of supporting me, just my my process and the, like, even the cover of the book and the colors. And they were very thoughtful every step of the way. So I feel very lucky. And they did, you know, they made sure people knew my book was coming out. And a lot of right. people early on compared it to Where the Crawdads Sing, which I think captured some people's um, imaginations a little bit, mm. thinking, you know, because uh, so many people liked that book. Uh-huh. So I think that people were interested in, you know, in climate science, but it's also, it's been a very accessible story about a French yeah. climate town. It isn't just for, you know, it's not a book that you would put it on a shelf about climate change. It's not, it's just a backdrop. Yeah. And and it took you 13 years to, from when you first <laughs> had the image of the girls on a, on a, you know, on a sailboat picking blueberries to it coming out. Uh, were you writing other works of fiction along the way, or was it just this one? Well, um, so it took 13 years, but I would say it was the last four years that I was really serious about it. Um, I have okay. four kids, and those were the years I was in the thick of it, you know, with the little yeah. kids. And, yeah. you know, and, oh, and yeah. so I was writing slowly, stealing moments in the carpool lane, waiting to pick the kids up from school. And right. it was slow going. But, yeah. um, and I was building the farm, too. So it took a long time. So I wasn't really working on I, I did write some short stories. Uh, mm. which I published a couple, but I, I really just lived with this book inside me for a very long time and worked with these characters. And then um, you know, I didn't start writing another project until after this book had already been you know, submitted yeah. and turned in. Right. Good. Well, that's good. And, and you, uh, did you have a hard time finding a publisher or did it go relatively easily? Um, I think, you know, I'll say it's mostly easy. Um, well, not easy, but compared to a lot right. of people I know it can be hard, but I had a, an easy time finding a literary agent, which can be the, one of the hardest steps yeah. in the process is, you know, yeah. sending out querying and getting an agent to take you on. And so that happened very quickly. And I signed with my, you know, my perfect dream agent who how I've did you so find, lucky. how did you find the agent so quickly? So I went to, I, I went to a writer's conference and ah, you can pay okay. to have a manuscript consult. And so her oh. name's Stacey Pesta at writer's house. And she's just wonderful. Oh, writer's she's house a, is great. Writer's yeah, and she she was the agent that I paid to have a manuscript consult with. So she wrote like twenty pages and gave me, you know, you know, all the tough love, you know, that you yeah, yeah. didn't make me an offer or anything. But she said, you know, I see something in this. When you're finished, send me the manuscript. So okay. I finished later that year and I sent it to her and a handful of other people. And um I was lucky I had a couple a couple offers come in and I ended up going with Stacy because I oh. just, I felt a lot of connection to her and her vision for my book. So I had this false sense of like, wow, this is going to be so great. You know, I got to right. right away. This book must be right. great, but it took a long time to sell it. So, you know, it was a little humbling oh. at that point. It took almost a year. Yeah. And, wow. um, and, okay. and I, that was hard. That was really like yep. emotionally hard. Yeah. Um, and she never gave up on me and she just kept putting it out there. And the thing is that I wouldn't change one second of it though, because I love my team at Forge. I would not, Good. I wouldn't change one bit of it because it landed just exactly where it was supposed yeah. to be. 
Yeah. It, you know, it's a funny thing. I mean, the rejection is tough and, you, and you're waiting because you don't know. But the thing is, once you get a yes, it doesn't matter anymore. Now you found the right yeah. people. Because the thing is, you want the right people. Because if they're the yep. right people, they'll be the right portal for the people who are meant to read it to read it. And none of that, yep, none exactly. of that matters after that. Yeah. Wow. That's good. And so what was it like for you when it got, when it came out? I mean, what was, it's, you know, obviously we're in COVID and so you can't, you had to do virtual zoom stuff, I'm sure. But what was that like for you emotionally? What, did you enjoy it? Was it um, weird? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I of course was disappointed that the things weren't happening in person. I really yeah, wanted to have sure. a you know, live launch yeah. event, but I got over that because, you know, the pandemic had been in full swing for a long time before my book came out. So I, you know, people had already gotten comfortable with zoom formats and, um, it also gave me access to readers um, and, and you know, bookstores that I wouldn't have been able to go to. So, you know, yeah. I've been able to have conversations at bookstores in Atlanta and Houston and, you yeah. know, in New York. And um, to be in conversation with other writers who I wouldn't have, you know, probably had the chance to share a stage with. So I regret that I wasn't able to be in person and I still haven't done any in-person events, but yeah. that will happen. You know, it'll, it will. there will be, it will be better and there will be more books. And yeah. um, I've been, the thing I've been so grateful to is really the bookstores in particular that have been hosting all these events and just really yeah. putting themselves out there to lift up the writers. And I'm, yeah. I, when this is all over and hugging is back, <laughs> you know, in good graces, I'm going to hug every bookstore, every bookseller I see, I, I will hug too, because they've been the heroes of this, you know, the literary part of yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've got a book coming out in June and I'm assuming that it'll, my launch will be virtual. Um, although the, I, I have to say the nice part is I've got family and friends all over the country. And so they'll actually be able to come to the launch if they, if they want to, you know, which I, which yeah. would be nice. Yeah, no, I think that is nice because it's same with, you know, at my launch event, I had family coming from all over the country. Yeah, and yeah they wouldn't other, have been from there. out of the country. Yeah, I had yeah. friends from other countries show up. And so there, you know, you, you have to always look for the silver linings. And, I, yes. you know, I'm, I'm, I look forward to the day when we could do it in person. But this is what we have right now. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I'm just grateful for the opportunity that I've been able to, you know, grab. Uh, and like doing this, this conversation is great. Yeah. Like I'm connecting with people who, you know, in different parts of the country and different readers and um, – that, that matters to me a lot. Good. Well, you've got the right attitude, Julie. Appreciate. Appreciate it. <laughs> and I uh, just think it's what it's how you grow the good stuff. Uh, it's the only yeah. way I know how to. Um, all right. Well, that's great. So, And it sounds like you've, you're, you're back at work on a new thing of some kind. Don't tell me about it. Keep it a secret. But it sounds <laughs> like you're back at work on something. Yep. Yep. I have a, another book. I won't tell you anything about it, but it's coming out in early 20, 2023 oh, with oh. Forge. Yeah. Oh, you've oh, yep. good for you. Oh, yeah. God, it's already like under it. contract and it's coming and I'm deep into it right now and super excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. See, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're a novelist now. What do you think of that? Huh? You, you like that hat? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I do. I love it. I'm just, I just keep pinching myself. I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, my book is published. Yeah, I know. Stranger <laughs> things it, happened. Yeah, it's the dream, and I feel lucky that I was able. It was something I was able, able to chase down, and it was an elusive dream for a long time. So I just every yeah. day, I just can't believe it happened. It's amazing. Well, let me tell you something. Luck had nothing to do with it, Julie. Not a drop. <laughs> it was not luck. It was something else. But you, you know, I know it feels like luck. But here's the thing I've learned about writing and publishing and all this kind of stuff. Take it for what it's worth. Is there? You know how you don't know where ideas come from, but they come yeah. to you. I think that's what we call luck. It's just that if you get in the right frame of mind, 
quote, lucky things happen, but it's the same. It comes to you the same way ideas come to you, the same way the image of the girls and the blueberry came to you. That's what we call it. It's about if you get yourself in the right frame of mind, an open, receptive, relaxed, interested, appreciative frame of mind, quote, lucky things happen. I just, I just don't think it's, it's quote happens to yeah. I don't buy it. I think you're right. I don't buy it. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I worked hard for it too. So I think, of it's, course you, know, you did. Own, own, of course own you those did. victories, you know, it's great. Yes. Yeah. You, you had to, you had to write the thing. You had to be patient. Yeah. You had to find the, all that stuff. That's all that stuff. Yep. All right. Listen, so people want to talk to you and have you, they want to have you sit in virtually at their, their book group or whatever. Where can they find you? Is it, JulieCarrickDalton.com. What is the what's where do they get you? Where do they find yeah, you? Julie Car- yeah, JulieCarrickDalton.com is my um, website, and there's a contact page there, and I always um, check those messages. And I'm on Twitter at um, JulieCarrickDalt, um, and I am pretty active on Twitter. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but Twitter's where I, I my virtual home is. I I enjoy interacting with people, and when fans reach out or comment on Twitter, I'm I'm always happy to engage, which is a lot of fun. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Julie, I got one more question for you before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like you to do is finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Wow. If writing has taught me anything, it's that I can do more than I think I can. Um, ah. Because when you start with a blank page of novel seems impossible. But when you've got, you know, one chapter, you can do a second chapter. When you've got two chapters, you can do four chapters. And if you believe, you can do it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Julie, thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. It's a wonderful book. And congratulations and good luck on the next one. I appreciate it. Congratulations to you, too, on your book. I'll be looking forward. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, people, you can do more than you think. One step at a time. That's all it takes. One step at a time. All right. Listen, this has been a lot of fun, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I'll be back again next week. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. You are awesome, sir. Uh, And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do and just do it.